how many of you have ever thought that you were stronger than you really are? I just happened to look at Mike Thatcher. I'm glad you raised your hand. I, I've thought of several instances. One time I got my big mower, my big commercial mower stuck. And I said, dude, we're going to have to have something pull it out. And, and Thatcher goes, no, dude, I can push it out. And I said, no, you can't. And he goes, yes, I can. He goes, Ugh! we're going to have to have something to pull this out. And I said, yes. So, that, so I just thank you for that memory, uh, Thatcher. Um, how many of you ever thought you are smarter than you really are? Now, it's funny. The first service, everybody said, I thought I was stronger and it's just like this, about half people said, uh, smarter, they're not going to admit that, right? Uh, how many of you thought, and this, this is even less, how many of you thought you're better looking than you really are? All right, see, it goes, uh, somebody in the first service said, I did, and then I looked in the mirror, and I was reminded. Uh, <clears throat> now, here's the deal. The Bible says that pride goes before the fall. So whenever you start to think you're better than you are, or stronger, or better looking, or smarter, what happens every time? something or someone happens to bring you back down to earth. So the way I say this is this, humility happens or humiliation happens. I've got all kinds of stories. We could talk about stories all, all, all day, but, but here's the deal. When you get prideful, the Bible says pride goes before the fall. You will fall. And the Bible says that God opposes proud people. God is your enemy if you're proud. God gives grace to humble people. And so you need to understand this today. It's, it's really okay that humility or humiliation happens because you can't make progress in the spiritual life without being humble. Every time you grow spiritually, it starts with humili humility or humiliation that you allow God to, um, to do something with. Now today I wanna show you from the scripture when King David gets humbled publicly. And, and I want you to remember it publicly. Uh, we're going to talk about that. Okay, so this, if you have uh, your Bibles, I want you to start bringing your Bibles because I want you writing down in your Bibles. The reason we do these listening guides is studies have indicated when you write something down, you remember it longer. Most people within three days forget everything that, that they've heard uh, in a sermon. Most of you within three minutes forget it when you walk out the door. I know you. Um, so the reason we do this, not because I don't have enough things to do and I just, when I finish getting my sermon down, I like to edit this and print this out. It's that it gives you something, when you write, when you follow along, there's more chance of you remembering it. If you'll bring your Bibles and begin writing in it, I have my mom's Bible and I love going through my mom's Bible. She's been gone four years and I see something that God teaches my mom and God teaches me through my mom. You write some stuff down in your Bible. When you see it again, God will bring it to memory and, and it may be that God uses it to speak to your children sometimes day. So let's, let's start bringing those, those Bibles with us. All right. This is first Chronicles 21, one says that Satan decided to cause trouble for Israel by making David think it was a good idea to find out how many people there were in Israel and Judah. Uh, now what's the big deal? He was going to have a census. We have censuses here in, in the United States every 10 years. He was going to have a census. Well, the problem was it was not God's idea. If it's not God's idea and there are two competing forces, God is the force of good. Satan is the force of evil. If it's not God's idea, where does it come from? Satan. Right? There can be good ideas that aren't God ideas. They're not bad. They're just not God ideas. But in this case, we're told right here, Satan tempted David to count, to have a census. Well, you need to understand, 
David is at the end of his life. He's about to hand off his kingdom to his son, Solomon. And it's been one of the greatest um, uh, periods of Israel's history. David was considered the greatest king before Jesus Christ. But he was, he was a king and, and he, it was a great time for Israel. He's about to hand it off to his son, Solomon. And for whatever reason, he decides to count the military men. We're going to see this in the scriptures. Not just he wants to know how many people. He wants to know how many people can handle a sword. And he has a, he has a guy... Um, that works for him. His name's Joab. Now, Joab is not a particular, Joab's a good military guy, but he's not a nice guy. If you study his life, he's not nice. In fact, he's very vindictive. One time he kills a a rival because he's afraid that King David may make him the military commander. So just for fun, he kills him. He is not a good guy. All right. So I want you to understand Joab, the non-spiritual, not good guy realizes this is a bad idea. The scripture tells us this in verse three, Joab replied, may the Lord increase the number of his people a hundred times over. But why my Lord, the King, do you want to do this? Are not all your, are not they, are they not all your servants? Why must you cause Israel to sin? He's saying, dude, this is, this is a bad idea, and all your bad idea is going to do is get us in trouble with God. Now, if you have a non-spiritual, vindictive, um, not nice person who looks at your life and says, hey, I think if you keep doing that, and they're totally sincere, it's going to make God mad, shouldn't you pay attention? Shouldn't that be a big, fat, red warning flag going, don't do what you're going to do? Some of you aren't nodding because this is too close to home, Right? Because what do you do whenever somebody tells you it's a bad idea and you think it's a good idea? What do you do? You go ahead and do it. Amazingly, David doesn't care. He says, whatever, I want to know how many people are in my military. And, and it's because he's proud. As if the military was his, the source of his success. If you know anything about David, God provided all of his success. Why in the world would you want to count the military? Pride. Pride goes before the fall. And Janie and I were driving. We went to a, a wedding this weekend. And so we got lots of time to talk. And she loves it when, when we're in the car and, and nobody else is around. She calls it having me trapped. So she had me trapped for six hours uh, over Friday and Saturday. And we just talk about all kinds of stuff. We were talking about proud people. And she said something that I wrote down. She said, proud people are unteachable. I think that's why God opposes proud people because they think they know better. They're not going to listen to anyone, even a non-spiritual vindictive guy who sees this as a bad idea. But proud people don't even listen to wise folks. They turn their backs on them. We'll see that again in just a minute. Well, it takes about 10 months to finish the census. And I had to add these verses. You'll have it up here on the screen. I didn't have it on my iPad. So uh, here's what happens. Joab reported the number of the fighting men to David. In all Israel, there were 1,100,000 men who could handle a sword, including 470,000 in Judah. But Joab did not include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering because the king's command was repulsive to him. Non-spiritual guy says, this is repulsive. This is a bad idea. And then even worse, look at verse seven. This command was also evil in the sight of God. So he punished Israel. All right, so then verse eight. Because they've been punished, David says, I am your servant. What I did was stupid and terribly wrong. Please forgive me. So he says, God, I messed up. I'm dumb. I'm a dork. Will you forgive me? God says, of course I'll forgive you, but I will not remove the consequences. A lot of people don't understand this. God's forgiveness and consequences are not tied. Most of the time when God forgives you of sin, he still allows you to go through the consequences of your choices so that you'll learn. 
Well, David's got some bad choice. He had a bad choice and it's, it's going to cost him. And see, the deal is the whole nation knows that David had called for a census and that God had not called for a census. So this is a very public thing. David knew better. He insisted we're going to do this. It was willful. It was prideful. It was rebellious. Everybody knew it. And because it was so blatant, because everybody knew it, God's response had to be public. So God sends a prophet. This is the way they talk to him in the Old Testament. God sends a prophet to David and he says, I am going to discipline you severely. I'm going to give you three choices. You choose which one you want to have. Here's what he says in verse 12. You can have three years of famine, three months of being swept away before your enemies with their sword overtaking you, or three days of the sword of the Lord, days of plague in the land with the angel of the Lord ravaging every part of Israel. Okay, so let's do the math. First, 1,095 days of famine. That's a lot. 90 days of being invaded in your own country by enemies and being defeated. 90 days or three days of plague. 1,095, 90, or three. So here's what David's reasoning. David's distraught, and he says, well, I don't want to do three years of famine. He said, I really don't trust other (laughs) invading armies. He said, I'm going to put my fate in God's hands three days. It is going to be a very, very high cost. So God, he says, I'll take God. And so God sends the the disease, the plague, and the the angel of the Lord. And this is just a rendition. I just decided to study this and and look at this. This is some artist's uh, idea of what the angel of the Lord looked like. The Bible tells us that, that when David finally sees him in just a minute, the angel of the Lord is suspended between heaven and earth with his sword drawn. Now, this is pretty impressive. And if I see this, if I'm walking out here on the property and I see this, uh, I'm probably going to be kind of shocked, right? Um, when, whenever people see angelic beings in the scripture, they fell down afraid because it was so incredible, so majestic. So, so the angel of the Lord, God says to the angel of the Lord, go and destroy Jerusalem. He stops, the Bible says, suspended between heaven and earth with his sword drawn. He was going to destroy Jerusalem. God says, stop right where you are. Now, <clears throat> you need to understand when David and his, um, the elders saw the angel of the Lord, they fall down on their faces. And they say, oh, oh my God. Now, let me, let me say this. I don't use oh my God except when I'm talking to my God. If I, if I do OMG, I say OM goodness because I don't want to offend God. And, and, and when, you're, when you see and you say oh my God and you're talking to God, you couldn't even sing oh Lord my God when I an awesome one. You couldn't say that without offending God. You understand what I'm saying? So when I'm using that, I'm not using God's name in vain. When they saw him, they went, oh, we are messed up because we're in the presence of something from another world. They fall down and David says, it's me. I have sinned. Hold me accountable. So this angel stops right there. Now you need to understand public sin. This is, this is one of the principles you need to understand. Public sin requires public repentance. This was massively public. We've had stuff like this in our church. We've had things where we've had to, we've had to confront people and, and we've, we've done the whole church discipline thing, gone to them one-on-one, gone with, with witnesses. When they refuse to do it, we've come to the church and, and then they've come to the church and confessed. We've done this. It is not pleasant, but when you're obedient, God blesses you. They fall down publicly and they repent. God had gotten their attention, which is the purpose of discipline. Now, God tells the angel to stop. David sees him. And then God sends another message to David and he says, I want you to sacrifice proper animal sacrifices at the very spot where the death angel is. Let me show you where the death angel is. Show that picture there, Travis. All right. 
Now, when David conquered, this is called the city of David. Nowadays, old Jerusalem is up here, but this is, this is still called the city of David. When David came and conquered it, the Jebusites were living there. This is all pretty, pretty interesting to me. So he defeats the Jebusites. He's, he's uniting the kingdom of Israel, and this becomes the, the city of David. Now, the, the threshing floor, well, let me read you that. So here's what happens. The angel stops over the threshing floor of Aruna. And, and the, the prophet says, you need to sacrifice right here at this threshing floor. Now, leave that. Well, I'll go ahead and read the, the scripture and then we'll put that back up. Now, while David is, is getting ready to uh, sacrifice, God tells us what's going on behind the scenes. Aruna, that's his threshing floor, turned and saw the angel and his four sons were with him, hid themselves, but Aruna continued threshing wheat. All right, put the angel back up there. He's, he's in his, his threshing floor harvesting wheat. He's doing what he should be doing. His four sons are with him. They see an angelic being with a sword. People are dying. The sons run for the hills. Aruna just keeps doing what he's doing. I want to meet this dude. When I get to heaven, because if, if I have anything, if God sends the angel, because this is what I think. This is my interpretation. This is not scriptural. I think the dude's working. He looks up and he says, oh, dude, that, that's angel of the Lord. Wow. I don't think he's here for me. So he keeps on working. And I think he's going, if he is here for me, I want to go out doing what I should be doing. I'm working. That's what I want for my life. If the angel of the Lord comes for me, I want to be doing whatever I'm supposed to be doing when he finds me. That's just me. All right. Nobody else. <laughs> this is funny. So, so his son's going hide. He keeps working. Then he turns and he notices King David and the elders. Aruna, Jebusite. He goes, hmm, angel, king, something's going on here. So he runs out to the king and he bows down before the king. He doesn't bow before the angel. I don't know why, but he bows before the king. King David says, um, Aruna, I, I, I need a favor. Aruna says, sure, whatever. He said, I need this place. Where the angel is, your place, I need to make a sacrifice here. So Aruna says, sure, have my place. You can have it, king. You can have the animals. You can have everything you need. Do whatever you need to do to get right before God. I mean, Aruna's pretty sharp. Now, David could have taken his gift and turned around and re-gifted, right? Because re-gifting is, is giving, right? Anybody ever re-gifted? We did for years after we got married because we got 800 crockpots. I don't know, it wasn't that many, but we had, we had them stacked up in our attic for years. We'd get a, you know, some little sh uh, wedding shower, whatever thing, and hey, we loved it, re-gifting. And if, technically, that's, that's giving, and, and really, technically, if God gives you even the breath that you breathe and you serve him, isn't that re-gifting? If God is the source of your income, and he is, and you give to him, isn't that re-gifting? Everything you give to God is really re-gifting, but there's a timeless principle I want you to see here. Look how David responds in 1 Chronicles, Chronicles, Chronicles 21, 24. David replied, no. And it wasn't a, it wasn't a hey, I'm going to pay for this. I'm going to pay for the meal today. And you go, no. And you're just real slow to pull out your credit card. No, you don't have to. No, this was a no. And I want you to see why. David replied, No. I will pay you what they're worth. I can't just take something from you and then offer the Lord a sacrifice that costs me nothing. Here's the timeless principle. By definition, if it costs you nothing, it cannot be a sacrifice. And everything in the Christian life begins with sacrifice. So David pays the full price for the threshing floor 
and the land around it, and they offer sacrifices to God, and the nation was restored. Now, I'm always telling you God is a God of details. If God is a God of details, yeah, y'all don't, exactly what they did in the first service. Remember I put this up? If God is a God of details, and if he never does anything by accident, then this must be significant. Let me show you. Put that back up there, Travis. All right. City of David, this is the threshing floor of Aruna. What is significant about this is that this Mount Moriah is where Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice before the Lord. When God was testing Abraham to see if he was worthy to be the father of the nation, God says, I want you to sacrifice your firstborn son. Abraham ties him up, takes him on the mountain. He's about to sacrifice. And God says, now I can trust you. He provides a substitute, a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. That happened right here. God didn't, God didn't accidentally, oh, I didn't know that. No, God planned it. So where the, where the nation was founded is where the angel stops. Now, David buys it, and David, the, the, the greatest king other than Jesus Christ, the greatest king of the, of the Jewish kingdom, David sacrifices here for his sins. And then when, whenever he um, passes on his kingdom to his son, Solomon builds the temple right there. This is significant. Now, it all started with Abraham's sacrifice, David's sacrifice, and then the nation's repeated sacrifices at the temple. Everything in the Christian life begins with sacrifice. People say all the time, well, I'd love to go to Haiti, but it costs too much. It's a sacrifice. Um, I have to take off work. Sacrifice. People say, I'd love to come to small groups, but, but what? It's a sacrifice. Um, I don't really want to we hear this. I don't want to, I don't want to teach in children's church because I want to be in, in big church. It's a sacrifice. Men's ministry, women's ministry. It's a, anything you do in the Christian life that causes you to move towards Jesus Christ requires sacrifice. And here's, here, here's the biggest one. This is the biggest reason we sacrifice. Romans 3.25, this is the message translation and it's very, very clear. That's why I'm using it. God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear that world of sin. Having faith in him sets us in the clear. God decided on this course of action in full view of the public. Public sin requires public discipline. God did this in full view of the public to set the world in the clear with himself through the sacrifice of Jesus, finally taking care of the sins he had so patiently endured. There was a time God had to decide what to do with rebellious men and women, prideful men and women. He could have turned his back on us. He could have destroyed us like he did with the flood in Noah's time. But this time God did something amazing. He sent a substitute to pay for your sins and to pay for mine. God knew that on our own, we we're going to go to hell. And he said that, I can't bear that thought, so he sent a substitute. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus was being pounded to the cross, put that picture up there. Now, again, this is just a, an idea, but I want you to notice, look at his hands. Are they open or closed? Is he raging against heaven? How dare you, God? Jesus willingly opened up his hands to pay for your sin and for mine. And whenever you ask him, to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. Not only do you become a Christ follower, not only are you adopted into the family of God, but slowly and surely, you begin to open up your hands and release your resources back to the one you call Lord. If every breath is his, then when you sing, that's his singing. 
If, if your hands, if your body was created, we believe that your body was knitted together in your mother's womb by the creator. Everything I have is his. And so when I begin to grow, when I begin to sacrifice, when I open up my hands and I release my time, my talents, and my treasures to God, I begin to grow spiritually and I begin to look more and more like his son. God wants us to bear the family resemblance. The way we do that is to sacrifice. You show me a selfish person and I'll show you a person who's taking their eyes off the cross. Yeah, there you go. That's the next slide there. It's funny when I look back there and, and they're laughing and they're missing. You show me a selfish person. There we go. I'll show you a person who's taking his eyes off the cross. <clears throat> They've forgotten what it took to, to pay for their freedom. And, and when I, this whole series about generosity and sacrifice has nothing to do with you and New Life Community Church, has nothing to do with you helping New Life pay its bills, has nothing to do with getting out of debt, we're out of debt, has nothing to do with um, building a new worship center down the road, has everything to do with the way you use your time, your talents, and your treasures reveals to everyone around you what you really believe about God. And God is a God of sacrifice. David says, I can't offer something to God that costs me nothing. And so my question to you is, what are you offering to God and what is it costing you? Are you offering leftovers? I mean, honestly, how hard is it to come one hour a week? Yes, for some people that's a sacrifice, but for most of us, that's not a sacrifice. That's a habit that we need to get into. What are you offering, leftovers or the good stuff, the first? Are you, are, is, your, is your Christian life one of, it? well, if, if it's convenient, I'll do it? Do you want a savior who only comes to you when it's convenient for him? No. Now, some of you are really tired of this series. Come on, Doug, you keep talking about this stuff, giving, sacrifice. Why? You're wearing us out. Why are you doing it? Why do you keep talking about it? Well, because the Bible talks about it. I mean, you, you know, in the great love chapter is, is 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. At the end of that chapter, Paul says, Three things will remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Let me show you how much the Bible talks about these. First one, faith. 246 times the word faith or some version of faith is in the entire Bible, 246. Hope, great word, 185 times in the Bible. Love, the greatest of these is love, 733 times in the Bible. You know how many times the word give or some form of giving is in the scripture? 2,285 times. You add all those other three up and you're, not even, you're a little over halfway to how many times God talks about giving and sacrifice. Why does he talk about it? Because he knew we would be obsessed with it and he knew we would whine and complain about it. Now, I told you last week that, that right after the, the Red Sea came and God destroyed the Egyptian army, they celebrated, they had this great worship time. Three days later, what did the people do? Complain. God had just delivered them. Oh, we complain. And then a year later, they celebrate the Passover when God delivered them from the Egyptian slavery. They celebrate the Passover as they're, as they're leaving Mount Sinai. They've been camped for a year. Three days later, what do they do? They complain. It is natural to complain. It's natural. But it's not God honoring. Whining and complaining are a conditioned response to trouble. Conditioned response means a habit. The more you do it, the more ingrained the habit is. And let me just show you some dangers 
of whining and complaining. When you complain, number one, you are expressing a fear that God is unfaithful. When I said that out loud in the first service, it made me almost sick to my stomach. To, to claim that God, the one who died on the cross, is unfaithful. The, to claim that God, the one who has fulfilled every promise except coming back, <laughs> all these promises in scripture he's fulfilled, to call him, un- that's what you're declaring to the world that you believe about him when you whine and you complain. Fear is the opposite of faith. Without faith, the Bible says you cannot please God. It is impossible to please God. Fear is a choice, so is faith. Faith sees whatever you're going through with Jesus Christ on the cross. I see you there. Oh, this is bad, but I see Jesus. You look at Jesus, the backdrop of everything you go through is the cross. Number two, when you whine and complain, you reveal that you have an ungrateful heart. You're saying to God, what you do for me is not enough. And in fact, I think I can do a better job than you. An ungrateful heart looks at only what you don't have. Go with us to Haiti. Pastor Jude, one of, the, one of the neatest men, he's my brother. One of the neatest men, I, most humble men I've ever been around. Has two, three rooms in his house. One of the most grateful people I've ever seen. The Avrius, the, the young man that we worked on his house this year, grateful. They don't have running water. They don't have electricity. They don't have, certainly don't have air conditioning. They don't have indoor plumbing. They don't have indoor kitchens. Some of the most grateful people. See, stuff doesn't tend to make us grateful. Number three, when you whine and complain, you encourage others to stop trusting God. And this is one of the greatest dangers to the church. You see, I'm studying the Old Testament and I've studied the Exodus and I'm in numbers. I'm almost finished with numbers now. Um, And, and, one of the things that I thought of when I, when I was preparing this was when the spies went into the promised land, God brings them out, takes them to Kadesh Barnea. That's on the edge of the promised land. They send 12 spies in 40 days. They go in there and they said, this land, all of the spies had the same facts. It is a very abundant land. They bring back a cluster of grapes. It's so big. It takes two men to carry it. That's some big honking grapes. This is a land flowing with milk and honey. All 12 spies had the same facts. There are big people there. God had told them that. There are fortified cities. God had told them that. They all had the same facts. Two of the men, Joshua and Caleb, said, God says, that's our land. Let's go take it. Ten of the spies said, are you crazy? There are giants in the land. They have fortified cities in the land. They said, we are like grasshoppers in their eyes. Joshua and Caleb said, they're like grasshoppers in God's eyes. Let's go take this land. And they argued. The Bible says that they argued and, and the 10 go to the congregation. So the million or whatever people, actually a couple of million people. And it says that they whined and complained all night. We should go back to Egypt. We should go back to be slaves. Let's elect a new leader. And then they said, let's pick up rocks and let's stone to death Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb the only four men who are showing faith. Let's get rid of the spiritual ones and go back to slavery. See, when you whine and complain, it indicates that you're looking at your own circumstances and when you're focused on your own circumstances, you say and do ridiculous things. How else can you explain? Let's kill the four spiritual guys. Because when they started doing this, Moses and Aaron fall on their faces and they say, oh God, have mercy on us. 
Joshua and Caleb, they go around. No, let's go. Let's go. God says we can take it. Let's but the contagious, complaining, rebellious nature won. And the nation lost because they did not have faith in the one true God. See, complainers are everywhere. It is natural to complain. It is supernatural not to complain. If everybody is complaining, if our churches are full of complainers, if complaining brings about the discipline of God, maybe we should do something different. I want, I want supernatural power. I don't want to be like everybody else. In the New Testament, Paul says this in Philippians chapter 2. He's talking to the church in Philippi and he says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Do things that are convenient without grumbling and arguing. Is that what it says? Do things if you feel like it without grumbling and complaining. Nope. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you became, here he tells you why, so that you may become blameless and pure. Look at this. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. When you sacrifice and you serve without groaning and complaining, it's, it's like this light represents Jesus. When you serve without groaning and complaining, you reflect his light. When you complain, you put a layer between you and God and you put a layer between you and God and you put a layer between you and God and before long, nobody knows that you follow Jesus because the reflection is so dimmed by your whining and complaining. That's not the way God intended it. Bible says as we gaze at him, we become transformed into his likeness more and more. The more I gaze, the more I'm transformed. The more I serve without grumbling and arguing, the more I reflect Jesus. So here's the last thing. When you whine and complain, your light is dimmed. If Jesus is the light of the world, when we complain, our light begins to fade. So the antidote to whining and complaining, you know what it is? sacrificing and serving. I've been telling you for weeks about these, these puzzle pieces. If you don't have one, we've got some buckets up here that have one. Um, you need to put your initials on it because God has shaped you to serve in, in some capacity. Uh, we, Keith and Heather came up here and spent a couple of hours on different days, two or three different days, and put up our new lights and these background lights that are awesome. Keith is putting together another background thing. You'll see that in the weeks ahead. They, they did that because one of the things we want to do, we've had people ask us if we would stream our services on, on Facebook. Well, our lighting wasn't, we looked like little yellow people. We were almost, I just saw uh, Willy Wonka the other day. We looked like the, the Oompa Loompas um, when we videoed. So we didn't want to put that out on Facebook. And so we're, we need people to help us with the lighting. The lighting's going to be too much for one guy back there. So somebody who wants to help us with lighting, somebody who wants to help with the, the video part of it, and we're going we're gonna to stream it, and, and several people have asked for this. And so we need people to help with all that. Well, we have all kinds of different things. We've got prayer. We've got children's church. We've got military ministry today, celebrate recovery, the landing, greeting team. We need a greeting team. Did you know, I, I was told recently, somebody's been coming here for weeks and other than me not a single person in this church has talked to him it was like a kick in my gut there should not be a church on the planet where that happens 
because you don't know. If I'm talking to you and, and I see a guest walk in, I'm leaving you. Just know. I'm going to leave you in mid-sentence. And I'm going to go talk to the guest because we exist for people that don't even come yet. There should never be someone. So we, we want to have a greeters ministry. And greeters don't get to just talk to each other. And hold open the door. And I'm not, well, I guess I am wasting you. I'm sorry. We like each other. I get that. We like each other, but we need to pay attention. A greeting ministry, our, our clothing ministry, our hymn ministry, Hearts in Motion, where we give away food, youth ministry. We got all kinds of stuff. Let me, let me show you a picture of something. This is Janie's schedule. This is back in her office, and this is how she does all of the children. So, okay, you got, you got babies, toddlers, preschool, first through third grade, fourth through sixth. You got first Sunday, second, third, fourth, fifth. You got first service because somebody has to work in first service. Well, Ryan Pence walked in last week and he said, I want to check the schedule. And he walked in and this is what Ryan said. He goes, Janie, Janie, that's first and second service. Janie, Janie, Janie. He said, I'm telling because what you're doing is wrong. And she said, what am I going to do? He said, I don't know, but I'll take some. He said, you start putting me in there. Because he said, you need to be in worship. And see, what we do, we just serve. If people don't show up, we serve. I asked Janie this morning. I said, are you going to be in church today? Because I don't know. It depends on people show up or not. You are shaped by God to make a difference. I'm gonna, you may not know this. God didn't, God didn't put you on this planet to do whatever job you're doing just to do your job. Yes, God provides for you and your family through your job. Yes, and we're grateful for that. God provides for the kingdom through your job, but that's not why you were created. God created you to make a difference for all eternity. He shaped you and he has a place for you to plug in. The reason people put these up here on the, on the stage, these are people in our church who are serving somewhere. God created you to serve. God created you to make a difference. And, and I just, I gotta tell you this real quick. We need to be helping people that, that were suffering from Hurricane Harvey. We, that's part of who we are. We need to be sharing clothes. And, but you know, when, when, Jesus, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, did you know he died again? Did you know that? See, Jesus, Jesus raised Lazarus to show a spiritual truth. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. There's a bigger end game than just meeting physical needs. Yes, we want to meet physical needs. Hear me. But there were, there were people who were almost frantic. We got to go to, we got to, go to Houston. We need to, go, we need to go serve. And I'm like, yes, let's go serve. But don't serve just to serve. Serve so that your light shines in such a way that people see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. There is a bigger end game. And the bigger end game is Jesus wants more people in his kingdom. So when you're frantic about going down there, every Sunday I'm frantic about somebody's going to hell. Every week. And I think the only plan A, there's no plan B. Plan A is the church. It's the bride of Christ. And so we're just going to serve. Um, uh, Hannah was baptized last week. Hannah loves to dance. And you can tell when she dances, God, God is... She's reflecting her father in heaven when she dances. And God used dance to help her overcome some depression in her life. A couple of summers ago, this past summer, not this past summer, Hannah said, hey, do we have anybody to take pictures when we go to Haiti? I said, no. She said, can I do it? And I said, sure. I said, you know how to do it? Nah. She said, I'll, I'll edit the video. I said, you know how to do that? Nah. I'll figure it out. 
did a great job. She did it again this year, did even better this year. She edited her own baptism video that we showed last week. I videoed it and then she edited it. It was great. So I said to her, I said, baby, I think God's given you an eye for this. You're really talented at this. Would you be interested in doing some more videos? She goes, I'd love to do that. And I said, not only are you serving, you're building up the kingdom. You're helping the church by doing that. Y'all know Rachel sings. Rachel, you know, she's going to be coming once a month and and singing during the school year. John's going to be singing once a month. John's been dealing with some health things and praise God that that some... Some of you don't know, there was, there was a scare about leukemia. The preliminary indications are there's no leukemia. That's a yes God. That's a praise God. But he's, he stepped back for a while, but he's going to be singing once a month in the band. He's going to be plugging in. Well, Rachel, I did not even know Rachel had the gift of leadership until she started serving as our youth intern. She did it last summer. She did it this summer. And I sat back and going, holy cow, God has put leadership in my daughter. And I'm just going, wow, when you see your kids get it and they plug in, But everybody has a place. And the reason most churches are struggling is because there's not enough people discovering how God created them and plugging in. We can't be that church. I refuse to let us be that church. I will challenge you and I will challenge you until I don't have breath in this body again. That you need to be plugged in somewhere and serving. We have a small group <laughs> starting tonight. It really, that's what network is. It's how you discover your spiritual gift. Now, let me, let me tell you this and we're done. I'll get off my soapbox or my high horse or whatever I'm on. Two times that Janie and I get enormously frustrated. We lo- I, I ran into a pastor at the wedding I was at yesterday, pastor that was the first time I was a full-time youth minister was in Austin and I hadn't seen him since then. So that's been, that's the early nineties. And, uh, we were talking about stuff and, um, I was just thinking about this, the times that we get enormously frustrated, Janie and I do, or when people say, Hey, Doug, you need to do this. Now, now hang on. Part of that's me reacting to my mama, but that's not the whole thing. <laughs> but, but this over here isn't shaped like this. We don't care. You or Janie change your shape and you go over here and do this. Now, a lot of the time what people are saying is we're kind of called to do this, but since we pay you, we want you to do it. God shaped me like this. If that ministry doesn't fit my shape, I'm not supposed to be in that ministry. Do you understand that? So expectations of me and Janie, make sure you realize we're human and we need a break. We, we had a great time just hanging out with my brother for a couple of days. I wasn't the pastor at the wedding. That, that doesn't happen very often. I got to sit there and do nothing but watch my, my good friend marry his daughter off to, to a, a neat young man and it was awesome just to sit there. Do not try to force somebody else into a ministry that you think they should be in. The second thing that just frustrates me is when someone says, I'm a Christ follower and all they do year after year is sit on their butt and do nothing. It's unacceptable. We will not be that church. Would you bow your heads?
Father, I thank you that you sacrifice for us to show us that we need to be a sacrificing people. And I thank you that when we sacrifice for you, you notice and you bless it. Make us into a church who notices the poor, the orphaned, the widow, the lame, the sick. Because we believe that's what you did. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.